Welcome to With You in the NICU, a podcast for infant patients' parents and practitioners. Each episode aims to last as long as a pumping session for mom, or you could listen to several while you practice skin-to-skin with baby. With You in the NICU is produced by the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation. This episode is made possible by presenting sponsor Medela with support from AbbVie and Prolacta. Your host for With You in the NICU is Jenna Morton, a parenting journalist and mother of two preemie boys. The whirlwind that is life in the NICU can often overshadow your own sense of self as a parent, but it's also critically important that you do maintain and find your own space. For some insight on how you might accomplish that, we've invited Jennifer Robson to the podcast. Jennifer is a Canadian author with several best-selling titles, including her latest novel, The Gown. Welcome to With You in the NICU. Thank you. Delighted to be here. I'm so excited to have this conversation, and I know that you have a lot that you're ready to say about this, so why don't we just let you start with your thoughts that you want to share to the people listening? Well, I guess what I want to say is, first of all, I have no, I'm going to be honest and say I have an incredibly limited amount of time in the NICU, if, if we're looking at it from my point of view as a mom. Uh, in that I, my youngest, my, well, my eldest child was born at 35 weeks, which talking to you, the people who are listening, I know it barely even counts. It totally, it's a near term, a little alarming for first baby, but really so, so easy. And I totally accept and realize that. And then my second child was born at 37 weeks, but then had these weird blood sugar issues that landed us in the NICU for 24 hours. So that's my personal experience, which was harrowing enough at the time. Uh, although at this, at that point, my sister had already gone through the experience of having um, a, a micropremie. And so I had seen what it really is like when it's really, really hard. Um, so I have that perspective. So at no point am I going to purport to be a NICU parent at all. I just have had a little glimpse through those doors. And I know from, or I, I don't know, i I've been able to witness how difficult it can be. One of the things I know from my sister's experiences, um, something again that I've witnessed um, but haven't really experienced firsthand, is how much when you're in the NICU, um, the focus becomes, it's just so entirely on, on baby and, and just you're in survival mode and it can go on not only in the NICU for months, but then months and years afterwards of complete survival mode. And um, I've witnessed that and I've seen how difficult it is. And the one thing that I did for myself as a parent, uh, not when I had my first child, and interestingly, the first two years of my son's life, uh, I was the world's most nervous mom. I was so anxious. It was, it was just, I was, I, was real, I was the mom who would poke the baby to see if he was still breathing when he was asleep and then I would wake him up. It was crazy. Um, and I should add that some of that anxiety came from having a very late pregnancy loss um, with, our, with our actual first child, baby Nathaniel, who was born, uh, or he was still born at 23 weeks and with, with, because of Down syndrome. And so that had made me, I think, extraordinarily anxious. Um, so I was not a relaxed parent at all. And by the time my daughter was born, a little more relaxed, um, had kind of figured out this whole, figured out the whole nursing thing, which was an eye opener. And, um, 
and I was settled in pretty well with them. But I was starting to feel that sense that I think a lot of us get as moms of the me part of things was getting stripped away a little bit. And I would day in, day out, it was looking after the children, um, kind of occasionally remembering to check in on my husband, see that, you know, is he, has he eaten something? Does he have clean clothes? Okay, fine. He's, he's good. I don't really have to talk to him. Um, and, and, and we had, you know, we had a cat. Now we have many more critters, but at the time we just had the one cat. So I was taking care of these four lives and then only rarely thinking of myself, um, in a way that I think because I, I had this notion that taking care of myself made me, would make me selfish. You know, this, I was a mom, everyone first, I'm the last one into the lifeboat. Um, ignoring all the rules they tell you about how you have to put your oxygen mask on first. And when I, I find, and it wasn't actually too long into this that I had my moment of clarity. So my daughter was about three or four months old and she was the world's easiest baby. Oh, thank goodness. She was so easy. Also, because I was not a nervous mess. So that helped. And I was up late uh, and she, for whatever reason, she, I think she'd woken up to nurse and then I couldn't get back to sleep. So we were sitting together. And I turned on the TV um, back in the day when we had a TV on the main floor of the house. And I was watching um, a CBC News World and, um, and they actually, instead of just the regular news, they had on the documentary series, The Passionate Eye. And it was uh, a documentary called A Year in the Life. And it was about JK Rowling in the last, in the year that she was writing the last of her Harry Potter books. And, and I love the Harry Potter books, so of course I tuned in. And what really struck me were the scenes where she went, they took her back to the places she'd been in Edinburgh when she was, uh, before she was a, you know, internationally renowned writer, when she was alone, uh, just her and her little girl, um, really no family to speak of in Edinburgh. Um, she was a, a single parent. Um, she was at times living on social assistance and was was you know really really struggling and and i i just was so struck by how brave she was in that the whole time she was struggling she had this idea in mind for a book and she wrote it out in longhand she didn't even have a computer she wrote it out in longhand and persisted and created this 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 amazing work of art um, that has been so nourishing and uplifting for millions of people. And even when it was rejected by umpteen publishers and she couldn't get a literary agent, she, she persisted and she was so brave. And I had this moment where I looked around my house and um, my husband and I weren't well-to-do people, but we were very comfortable compared to like 99% of the people in the world. And I thought, I'm living in this house, this beautiful house. I have a, a partner who loves me and supports me. Um, I have uh, friends and family, most importantly, my sister who are supportive. And um, I have everything in the world it takes, um, setting aside issues of whether or not I was a good writer or not. But I have everything in the world. I have all the supports I need. And, and she had nothing. So what is my excuse for not immediately trying to write the book? that has been sitting in the back of my brain for probably at that point, something like 10 years. Uh, and I realized I didn't have any excuses and that this story, which had been kind of 
just the kind of thing Anne Lamott, who's an, a wonderful American writer, a novelist, and also a teacher of writing. Uh, she's talked about the the um, the tug on the sleeve of your heart that you'll feel occasionally when when um, creative um, endeavors are are pulling at you and, and trying to tell you you need to you need to listen to me. Um, and it's not necessarily writing; it's anything you do. I think that can nourish your spirit. So if you've always wanted to learn how um, to make ceramics or to sew or embroider, which is really, you know, at the center of my most recent novel, or paint or, or garden or really anything or, or cook up a storm, um, you'll feel that tug in the sleeves of your heart. And you've probably already felt it, to be honest. It's just that life gets in the way. So you have... Um, you know, you've, you've got, you've got meals to make and laundry to do and, and, you know, dogs to walk and a house to clean and taxes, oh my Lord, taxes to deal with. And, um, and all the emails clogging up your inbox actually aren't really that important, but they're clogging up your inbox. So you have to deal with them and all of that gets in the way. And it's this big, it's this, it's like this heap. I almost imagine like you're lying on the floor and it's this heap of rugs piling themselves on top of you. And it gets pretty, not only can you not see or, or hear when you're underneath a big pile of rugs, it's really hard to breathe. And so, you know, I'm not saying that you, there's any realistic way that you can get rid of all these, these responsibilities, because you can't. Once you're a mom, you're in it for the long haul, as in basically for the rest of your life. Um, no one ever stops worrying about your ki their kids. And I now have an almost 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, and I just worry about them in different ways than I did when they were babies, especially when they're out in the, in the real world without me hovering along behind them. Um, but there are ways that you can kind of nurture your creative soul and find time for yourself um, that, that don't get in the way of being a mom and, and keeping the focus on your little ones. And I honestly think if there's one thing you can do for yourself, it's to, it's to carve out just that little bit of time each day for something that, that nourishes you. Um, because, you know, again, it's, it's, we go back to the whole kind of slightly tired um, uh, trope of, putting your oxygen mask on first before you put it on the baby. I think a lot of people are, are starting to hear that message more than they did in the last yeah. few years, but it, it still takes a lot of courage to make that jump and to do it. Yeah. What, what is your advice to those parents listening who, who need that push? They need to hear yeah. that th this, you know, this is how you can do it. This is, this is how you make it work. Yeah. So you don't have to, it doesn't have to be kind of an all or nothing thing. I'm not telling you, and I certainly didn't do this. Like, don't quit your job. Um, don't uh, don't um, feel that you have to go and, and make huge investments in material or or supplies. Um, I always think the more money you spend on a hobby, the more likely you are to stop doing it like really quickly. And really, if it's if for example, if it's something like writing, uh, what I did initially is I bought a notebook. And I bought a really good pen. The, the first piece of advice I'm going to say is don't try and, and if you're going to be writing things down, don't use any old Bic pen. You, you want to go and get something that's really comfortable to write with, one of those snazzy new gel pens or something. And, 
and I'm also not going to tell you to spend a ton of time doing it because you don't have a ton of time. You know, I don't know any mom, especially moms with little ones, who can, who can find more than 15 minutes a day max to do something for themselves. But if you can find that 15 minutes and really at the start, that's all I'm saying you need to do is 15 minutes a day. And preferably with a cup of tea or coffee or something that, you know, feeds, feeds your spirits as well. And to just find a little moment. And obviously when they're little, when they're napping is ideal. And so maybe neglect that pile of laundry for, for 15 minutes um, and, and just sit down with your notebook and, and start writing. And it, the main thing to do is don't self-edit at this stage. Don't tell yourself, don't judge what you're doing. Um, just keep writing for that 15 minutes. Set a timer if you need to, because otherwise you may end up going over. There, what you're writing, there's no judging whether it's good or bad, whether it's right or wrong. Um, what you're doing is you're waking up your brain to the fact that, that you're writing again. And this can be fiction, nonfiction, poetry, journaling, really anything that you need, uh, you need to do. To, to kind of move beyond that here and now of, because I find too, it's almost, um, it's the urgency of the here and now and those, those chores that need to be done and, um, and the kind of the attention that need, you need to be paying to your little ones. Uh, those are all necessary things, um, but you can, without neglecting any of them, find these little spots of time for yourself. And in terms of finding other things. Um, you know, if you love to garden and now finally, my goodness, we looks as if we'll actually have a spring and we can get garden again. Again, it's just taking little scraps of time to, to go out. Nobody, you, you don't have to go and rototill the entire garden and plant it in a day. You're going to go a, a little corner of it and weed a little corner of it and, and, and maybe plant one little thing. And, and bit by bit, this is how, you know, it, it, this sounds fanciful, this is how you make your garden grow. But as your, as your garden is growing, I think it nourishes not just, you know, your, your eyes and your, um, your senses, um, but I think it's a, a kind of a soul nourishing thing. You know, one book that, that sometimes people will get a little um, not keen on reading her stuff because she can be really in your face in terms of being uh, the joy warrior. But Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, is really a really inspiring book in terms of getting past your self-doubts uh, and, and moving on to create, to create something that's beyond yourself. And I really, you know, and I'm sure all the libraries have a bazillion copies and it's been out for a while. So you're not going to have to come up against that terrible hold list that has 50 people on it before you can get your hands in the book. Um, and also the audiobook is really a lot of fun. And sometimes I know if you're carrying around a baby or two babies, you don't have the arms to hold the book. So audiobooks, honestly, I think for moms are one of the single greatest inventions that were basically not available when my kids were little. And I think now, oh, oh, the reading I could have done when they were little, and I could just have had a little earbud in one ear. But, but really, the first step is just to carve out that little bit of time for yourself and to make it as sacred as you can, given the constraints in your life. You, you, things happen every day. Um, you might find it more practical to find a longer stretch once a week one of my close friends, uh, a wonderful Canadian writer called Kate Hilton, 
Uh, this is when her kids were a little bit older. She was back to work full time. She was feeling completely frantic and stressed, but she knew she'd felt the tug on the sleeves of her heart. She knew she had a book inside her. And so she took three hours every Sunday and got a babysitter, otherwise known as grandma, uh, in to take care of her boys. And she spent those three hours doing nothing but sitting at a computer and writing her book. And it took her 18 months to do it um, because invariably, you know, some Sundays it's Easter Sunday. You can't spend three hours doing that. But, but at the end of the day, she had a book, which she then managed to get published and, and now she's a writer. And I just thought how brave of her to, to take that step in the first place. The motivation part of it too is another piece that what makes you kind of stop ignoring that tug and listen to it. Listen to the voice that's saying, you know, I have a story I want to tell. I have art that I want to make. What makes you listen to it? In my case, it was just that notion, that realization as I was watching Joe Rowling walk around this, this tiny bare little apartment where she lived in Edinburgh. And it was the realization that I, ha I had a grandmother of whom I was very proud, who was a journalist back in the 1930s and 40s. I had a mom of whom I'd been very proud, who was a family lawyer, uh, principally uh, involved in uh, protecting the rights of women and children in the community I grew up in. And she was later a family court judge. And so around me, I had um, family members and friends who were doing incredible things, uh, who, were, who were teachers, who were lawyers, who were doctors, who were social workers, uh, who, were, uh, who were artists. And I was working as a copy editor freelance and not really loving it. I kind of hated it, to be honest. What kind of example was I setting for my kids by sticking with work that did not nourish me, that I didn't love? The fact that it paid me practically nothing was completely beside the point. Um, I would still be writing books even if I never earned a penny. But it made me realize I had to do something. And then even more than that, the fact that I had a daughter and I just wanted her and my son, but, but in some ways specifically her to be proud of me. And also for me to set an example for her and her brother that you can try things. Uh, at that point, I was pretty certain I would fail in that most books published fail in that they don't sell very many copies and the author never makes any money. Having something published makes you a success, but in terms of just kind of the, the, the raw results, most books, fail. And so I didn't expect anything like that would happen, but at least I'd be able to tell my kids I'd written a book and I tried. Um, all the other stuff that came after is in some ways gravy compared to that first decision. So there's another one of my incredibly long, I want to be a college professor answers to what was a very straightforward question. I'm so sorry. No, I think that's perfect though. I think that a lot of people need to hear that and, and almost need to frame what they want to do, that, that tug on their heartstrings. They need to frame it in the sense of what it means to their children yeah. to take that extra step and go, okay, I, you know, I, I'm not very good at putting myself first, yeah. but if I'm thinking of it in terms of what it means to my children, mm -hmm. then maybe that's the push I need to, to, to do it. And so I think it's really powerful to hear, you know, how that came about for you to pursue your passion. 
Yeah. Because I think it's easy to get caught up, and I certainly did this, uh, in thinking that by ignoring myself, I was putting my children first. And in fact, it, it took me a few years to realize that in completely ignoring myself, um, I was actually doing a disservice to my children because I wasn't really a great model of how to live a healthy and balanced life. You know, I, I, I was, it, it, you know, it's hard to be um, happy and fulfilled when you're taking care of other people 100% of the time and yourself zero percent of the time and and i'm you know i'm not saying that that any of us turn into um you know the you know the the monster who is uh whose baby becomes an accessory as certain hollywood stars seem to to do but what i think we need to do is carve out a little bit of time for ourselves in in whatever way that that you personally find nourishing and it may be that the thing that that you find nourishing is is wildly different from writing a book um, but it, whatever that is, it, you have to kind of, you have to guard it really fiercely and realize that in pursuing something that is important to you, you're, you're setting this really fine example for your children of perseverance. You know, my kids are now at the stage where anything that I do, um, that's public, they find completely mortifying. So and I don't talk about them in public, I should add. I, I, I don't typically, you know, talk about anything to do with that, what they're doing now or, or the kind of people they are, although people know I have children. But, um, but even just the fact that I'm out there, you know, um, um, doing speaking engagements and being on the radio and very occasionally TV, uh, my kids are completely unimpressed, I should add. And the thought of, ever being identified as, as uh, you know, Jennifer Robson's child, I think they, they find somewhat mortifying. So, and the only thing, the exception is they keep asking if one of my books will get turned into a movie and then they can go to Hollywood uh, for a premiere. And I keep trying to say it really just doesn't work that way. <laughs> if only, <laughs> if only. I'm still waiting for the people in Hollywood to come calling with their million dollar checks, but it, it has not happened, unfortunately. And if only things were that easy. <laughs> but again, I'm also still waiting for the money tree to grow in my backyard, and we've just had no success there. As well. I, I've been waiting on that one too. I thought it was just the weather, but <laughs> <laughs> East Coast weather, my goodness. Most people who who are writing these inspiring books, among them Elizabeth Gilbert and so on, they keep coming back to this idea. And and Anne Lamont too. If you are if you are interested in writing, that's the absolute best book that I would recommend. And this is any kind of writing, again, fiction, nonfiction, any kind of journaling you wanna do, it is to go to Anne Lamott, and her, so the last name is spelled L-A-M-O-T-T. -T, and her, the, her great kind of book of advice is called Bird by Bird. And it's a it's slender little book, you can read it in an afternoon. And it is, it's very funny, it's very inspiring. And she just, Every time I feel I need a little kick in my pants, I go back and I reread it. And she just has lots of really great things to say about what it is to be an artist and what it is to persevere um, in the sure and certain knowledge that you are, you're not going to make any money from what you're doing. And that's not, not the point. It's never been the point. Um, and if you do, it's kind of this unexpected accident that's fabulous, but you can't ever count on it. And what the reason you're writing is to write and, and fundamentally um, 
when you dig down, it's to, to nourish your soul. And I can say hand on heart that the only job I've ever had that I loved, loved to the point where there are days it makes me completely bananas and I throw up my hands and I say, that's it. I'm, I'm never writing another book. This is too horrible. I can't take the pressure. And then I stomp off and do something else for a day. And then, and then, well, my characters on whatever book I'm writing come back and are kind of, they're tugging on my sleeve saying, oh, come on, come on, stop being so cranky, get back to the desk. But it really is a very nourishing thing. And I'm, I'm convinced that I would not have found my way to it if I had not had my children as the people that more than anyone else in the world, I wanted to prove something to. Not prove, show them, oh, look at mom is successful or look, mom is making tons of money, which frankly, as a writer, even the most successful writers don't make tons of money. That's not the point. I wanted to show them that I had taken a risk and I'd done something that took me outside my kind of zone of comfort. Uh, I'd never written fiction before. So I took this risk. I went outside my comfort zone. I persevered. Uh, I persevered even after initial years of failure. And, and I ended up doing what I want to do and being, I think, a much happier person because of it. Um, and I think my, the happier I am, the happier my kids are as well. But it just took, it took me finally listening to that voice, which I successfully ignored for years um, when I was, you know, kind of building my career as an editor um, and on that little hamster wheel that we get into, especially, you know, in the first years we're working before we have children of, of, you know, going to work and being busy and coming home and being tired and getting up the next day and being busy. And then you get to the weekend and you just, all you want to do is sleep in and, you know, maybe kind of, you know, excavate the, the mess from your house. And then, and then you, then you start it all over again. And, and by the time you get to your two weeks of holiday year, you're, you're flat on your back. You can, you, all you can do is lie in a sun lounger and drink, you know, um, uh, you know, um, whatever the, the biggest, fanciest, most expensive drink is at the resort with little umbrellas in it. And, and then you start over again. The, the great thing about having little ones um, is that when they're little, you've, you've got lots of time sitting uh, or, or sitting or being, I mean, you can be pushing the stroller as well and have these moments, but you've got lots of quiet time um, where nobody is telling you you have to answer that email or, or you have to um, run off to a meeting. Um, and babies are really great at, at kind of letting you be alone with your thoughts. Um, and when, when my now 15 year old was almost 15 year old was born, uh, a lot of my thoughts were just centered on, oh, I hope I don't accidentally kill the baby. <laughs> I really don't know what I'm doing. Oh, this is so scary. And then just to kind of in survival mode and, and, but more, you know, as he got older, I got a little more relaxed. I had, you know, I'd have these long walks with him and I started thinking about creative things. Um, but I never, I, I never really fully listened. And I always kind of, it's like I was swatting away those ideas. Like there were flies buzzing around me. Oh, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. And then a sister was born and I, I was having those ideas even from day one. Oh, maybe this is a time I could do some maybe, maybe. And then it was really only when I had that 
anvil fall out of the sky and hit me on the head when I watched that Joe Willie documentary and realized, okay, this is the time. This is the time. Um, because although we're really busy when we have little ones, um, it's a kind of busyness where you can carve out little chunks of time for yourself and you can, you know, you, you, especially when they're teeny tiny and they more or less stay wherever you put them. <laughs> I found was, I'm not sure if I'd started when they were both uh, walking, it might've been a little trickier. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and I figured too, if I could write my first book when I had a two-year-old and a newborn, uh, and I guess it took me about a year to do. Now that I have older kids, it just, I, I marvel at how I managed to do it. But I think it was mostly because uh, the littlest one, she just stayed wherever I put her. So that was only, I only had to keep track of one moving target, really. That's fantastic. I think we could talk about this for hours, but yeah. we are running out of time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we have well, to leave it there. <laughs> yeah. And I'll just say, just go to Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic and Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird. Uh, and because although there's, they kind of focus on certain types of creative endeavor, I think there's a lot of ideas and prompts in there that that can that you know you can find really nurturing and nourishing as as you try and say you know find something for yourself that that is just for you too and that is not a selfish thing that is again that's you putting on your oxygen mask so you can help everyone around you thank you so much thank you with you in the NICU is created to keep pumping mothers and others company in and out of the NICU it is produced for the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation by Jenna Morton and Tosh Taylor. Financial assistance is provided through education grants from presenting sponsor Medela with support from AbbVie and Prolacta. You can learn more about the Canadian Premature Babies Foundation by following them on Facebook or online at cpbf-fbpc.org.